seriously popular. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome everybody. Ian and Chris here for your It's All Kicking Off Weekend preview show. Hope everybody is well. We are. Uh, the Premier League continues to give us incredible stories, incredible matches, incredible goals. Um, I think there'll be some more this weekend, Chris. Uh, we seem to be on a bit of a roll at the moment. So let's roll straight to Villa Park, where the new title favourites are taking on Arsenal. Aston Villa versus Arsenal. Incredible what's happening uh, in the Midlands at the moment. It is. I mean, Aston Villa's home form is absolutely phenomenal. The job that Unai Emery uh, has done over a sustained period now to think that the mess that he took over and now just the fact that they are proper top four contenders. I, I can't believe that actually is the case because he hasn't gone daft in the transfer market. There haven't been loads of wholesale changes. Um, and they thoroughly deserved to beat Manchester City. And uh, that's that was so impressive, the nature of their performance. I said to you on Monday, uh, when we were together in the studio in London, that Villa possibly needed a statement performance out of the two games they had against Manchester City and Arsenal. You said that was not well, we know we knew they were good anyway regardless yeah. so so and that, and that was that was my yeah. point we 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 you know based on what's happened this season i think you mentioned they lost at liverpool well wow i mean liverpool are a good team they lost at newcastle newcastle are a good team but the consistency which they've shown i think if anything unai emery will want to improve their away form but they are a well organized slick outfit the victory over manchester city was the 14th consecutive win at Villa Park in the Premier League. The last time they didn't win at home was in February. And the opposition was Arsenal. Now, Arsenal, Arsenal go there, go to Villa with, uh, we talked again on Monday about a, a new Arsenal, um, um, a more frugal Arsenal we were talking about. They then conceded three goals at, at, at Luton, uh, but won 4-3, 97th minute winner, Mikel Arteta down the touchline. Uh, just like your mate, uh, David Wagner at Norwich, um, gets booked, won't be on the touchline on Saturday. I actually don't think that'll do Arsenal any harm at all to have uh, Mikel Arteta out of sight, out of mind for 90 minutes. Just get on with it. Great scenes. I mean, even I get 
Arsenal, uh, sort of, you know, they, they 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 are a club known for over celebrating. But even I get the celebrations. It was against Luton, the promoted team, lowest budget in the Premier League. But it is about finding uh, a way, isn't it? And uh, and they did that. And is it one of those moments that where you look back at the end of the season and think, blimey, you know, how big a goal was that from your player of the season at this moment in time, Declan Rice? What a, what a signing he's talking, been. Talking of, um, yeah, Graeme uh our male sport columnist, has said several times that Declan Rice needs to add goals to his game to be a, a world-class midfielder. He wasn't bought for that. And I'm, sure, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with Graeme on that. But, they, you know, the odd goal certainly helps. Certainly helps him, his reputation, his confidence, and certainly helps his team at the weekend. Now, there's... Uh, um, the other night, sorry. Now, there's an incredible stat uh, doing the rounds uh, regarding Arsenal and goal scorers. Um, of the of the last 15 goals they've scored in the Premier League, they have had 12 different goal scorers. 12 different goal scorers in the last 15 goals. We, I've said before that I think they need uh, a traditional goal-scoring number nine to help them win the title this year. But, the, but that's one way to cope with that one. I don't know whether bucking the trend is, you know, is is the correct phrase, but I mean, it's. I think it, it's far better uh, it, uh, as a manager if you're spreading the goals uh, amongst the team. And I think there's, you know, this we debate it every other week, and it's a it's an ongoing debate about do Arsenal have a good enough number nine? That's a great sign. I mean, Martinelli getting on the score sheet. I think that was only his. I may be wrong. His, his second Premier League goal this season. I'm probably they're all scoring, but he, you know, he he was. He wasn't. He wasn't as prolific as he was last season. Uh, you know, Odegaard, Saka, Jesus. Um, you know, scoring Havertz. Havertz, who's taken a bit of a yeah. hammering. Uh, you Two know, goals recently for him. this season. Now coming coming up with 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 key goals. So that's that's a really good sign. I think um, the one thing from Mikel Arteta's perspective, um, and you know, this Raya Ramsdale debate. Will his stubbornness to carry on with David Raya, the position they're in, will that, could that cost them the title at the end of the season? Because I just don't get it. We know what happened at the start and, and you know, he was hinting that it was going to be an even spread of games uh, amongst both goalkeepers. But the other night I thought that um, that a couple of huge errors and he can't keep making those errors if Arsenal want to win the Premier League. Now, there are two ways two ways of looking at this, aren't there? And I think you and I are pretty much on the same page with it. We think that, that Ray has had, um, well, he's had best part of a third of a season now to show that he's the right man. And he hasn't really shown it. So you think common sense would suggest that, that uh, Mikel Arteta takes him out of the firing line. However, if I take you back to, to what we talked about on Monday about Tottenham, and you said that the way the reason that Tottenham are playing the way they're playing, apart from the fact that that's Anne's Postecoglou's creed, is that it's about a process. It's about a long term, and you take the hits along the way to get where you want to be playing that way. Maybe that's the way that Mikel Arteta is looking at David Raya. Maybe he thinks, "I know there's a great goalkeeper in there. I know he's the one for me. I see it every day in training. I have to keep going so that he gets." to where I know he can be. Because if I take him out now, I'm back to square one. That's just another way of looking at it. So Villa beat um, City 22 shots 
Villa had, which was the most uh, against. What are you turning into a stat. You're turning into yeah, a stat. I had a, man, I had a good you? session on the stat machine when I got home from Old Trafford last night, um, and for once, none of them were about related to Manchester United. Um, Twenty-two shots, which is the most a, a City team have have um, faced under Pep Guardiola. Now, City. Don't say it. Don't say it. City in crisis. Um, four <laughs> games in the Premier League without a victory. Um, Pep Guardiola admitted after. After the Villa defeat, that they are struggling. Um, Two shots on goal. Two shots on goal. That is the lowest that of any team ever managed by Pep Guardiola. Not just at Man City, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Barcelona B, ever. That's the lowest. That's the lowest. An abject attacking performance by City. Um, They go to Luton on Sunday. That's not going to be quiet. I don't... So... No, it's not going to be quiet, and um, and Luton can take heart from and confidence from the way that they have pushed big teams this season. But please, you know, let's not write Manchester City off. Let let's not have sensationalist journalism. Did Gary Neville say he didn't? He didn't call them complacent. Did he call them complacent, or did he? He said his his Manchester United team uh, were were complacent. I don't know how. I don't know how he. It, you know, if he's hinting about complacency, complacency in Manchester City, I don't know how he can judge that. I don't think. I don't think that they are complacent. I think that their their standards have slipped a little bit. But if you if you look at the you know the recent games where we're all suggesting they're in a crisis, they've drawn with Chelsea away, they've drawn with Liverpool at home, they've drawn with Spurs at home, and they've lost to Aston Villa, who we've we've just been uh, praising to, to high heaven for their incredible. Home record. I think Martin Keown said on Match of the Day last night uh, that was the best Aston Villa performance in years, and so so that that tells you everything. So we can't we we can't we can't look at it that way and then baseball back Manchester City. They're still in a title race. They're they're still the best team. Um, well, they have been the most consistent team over a number of seasons. So I don't think anybody is writing them off. If we're going to use the word crisis, and I I get this. You, you can use the word crisis. Is this a crisis for Manchester City? Well, it is, but they they live by different standards and we, we, we're judging them by different standards to everybody else, aren't we? Well, you know that I had my, fun, my tongue firmly in my cheek when I used the word uh, crisis. And that is a very balanced and reasonable assessment by yourself, which makes me wonder if I need to start inviting somebody else to join me on this show on a... <laughs> Thursday, if that's the way you're going to yeah, go get Pep um, out. from now on. Yeah, get, get Pep out, sack him. So what Gary said, um, after seeing them draw with Tottenham um, at, at, at the weekend, so this is before last night's defeat, he said, he said, undoubtedly, it's complacency. He had no doubt about it. And he said that when, uh, in the year after Man United won the treble in 1999, they would have poor performances. And by their standards, and Alex Ferguson would say to them afterwards in the dressing room, "I know you're bored. I can tell that you're bored, and I can cope with you being bored. Just make sure that you are ready to switch on later in the season when it matters." And Gary Gary Neville thinks he sees that in City. He thinks it's become too easy for them, and that they're struggling to raise themselves. It's it's really interesting. Uh, psychological take on what's happening at Manchester City sounds it, as though it, you 
you don't, I don't, you don't I agree. I think Gary Neville can speak for his own experiences. Of course he can. And, you, you know, he, he, he lived it, and I'm not disputing anything he says about his Manchester United team. But I think it is so easy just to throw that out there that that, that teams are complacent when <clears throat> he isn't within the, the, the Manchester City setup and the dressing room. I just think that they have they have dipped. I've mentioned uh, who they've played, the recent performances, and and you know it's not a it's not a total disaster. They're you know flying in the Champions League. They're still in the Premier League title race. They have dipped their standards. We we judge Manchester City by different standards because of the consistency that they have shown uh, since Pep Guardiola has taken over, and that's it. And the form has been incredible. The consistency levels have been incredible and they have just dipped a little bit. But drawing with Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs and losing to Aston Villa away doesn't constitute a crisis and a disaster and doesn't mean that Manchester City uh, have been complacent. It's something they want, that Pep Guardiola will be, will be in terms of uh, their form and results, will be keen to uh, to turn around and turn around quickly. But, we, you know, we... <laughs> I don't think we can we can use word like use words like complacency. I think that that is that is you know deeply unfair. Is suggesting that the players are really mentally switching off, and I, that's one thing which over the over the seasons with, with with Manchester City, I don't think that we can necessarily level that at them. Hold that thought. We'll be back right after this. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, we anticipated getting together today to talk about further deterioration in Manchester United's season. Incorrect. Um, they're at home to Bournemouth this weekend on Saturday, three o'clock. Yeah, I'm, I'm covering that game, actually. Well, they, well, what you will see, therefore, is a Manchester United team, maybe, maybe given a little bit of a boost by what happened at Old Trafford last night, Manchester United 2, Chelsea 1. Extraordinary game. I've rarely seen such an open game of Premier League football. Chelsea were absolutely woeful without the ball. Goodness me, we talk about teams in crisis. Mauricio Pochettino has got work to do. Is that your is crisis? Is crisis your buzzword for for today? You've used that. Is that the second time you've more more than the second time? My point is, Manchester United are three points behind Manchester City. 
we've been like, you know, you and I spent about 10 minutes talking about them on Monday, Monday about what a shambles you are. They're three points behind Manchester, Manchester City. Strange how a league table can lie sometimes because you and I know there's a chasm between those two football clubs. But a good week, a better, a better night for United. And they've got a chance on Saturday to, to, to double down on that. Was it a response from, I mean, there seems to be a lot of anger at Manchester United uh, at this moment in time. The, the world is against us. And, you know, there, there seems from the outside to be problems uh, within the camp. But I want to sort of hear your view on uh, Manchester United. I, th- I, th- I thought this is really interesting. And I, I don't know where I stand on it. But from a journalistic point of view, Manchester United banning certain media outlets this week, do you understand that? Was that was it was it fair for them to do that? Was it right for them to do that? Go on, you tell me because I don't I don't quite know. Well, just for just for some background for those those who don't know, um, uh, there were some stories written um, on uh, by some outlets on uh, Tuesday suggesting that uh, Eric Ten Hag was losing the dressing room at Manchester United. United took ex- exception to it and. Um, Four journalists, I think, were excluded from Ten Hag's uh, press conference ahead of the Chelsea game. I think that was a decision that was taken by the club rather than Ten Hag. That's the way it looked. But it's happened before. It's happened before at Manchester United. It's happened. Have you ever been banned? You seem like somebody who I, I would, I would, I would ban you from from entering my club. I was banned three times by Sir Alex Ferguson. Three, three and I wasn't, times. I wasn't alone. Fergie used to view his press conferences as uh, a privilege rather than an obligation. It's absolutely an obligation. Clubs are obliged by the Premier League to do pre- to do preview press conferences. Alex Ferguson used to see it as a as a privilege for journalists and he thought that if you overstepped the line, then he would withdraw that privilege. What did you say? For him, for him to ban you three to three times? I mean, you know, once you can sort of understand, but three times you must have been a real annoyance. Well, I think I was. <laughs> Uh, so I was, so I, was, I was banned one time for something that I'd written about um, Wayne Rooney. Um, it was during the World Cup in South Africa, South, South Africa 2010. Wrote something about Wayne Rooney. It was kind of buried about 15 paragraphs into a piece I wrote about England and why Rooney wasn't playing well. Got back to, to Manchester and, and the season started. I found that I wasn't welcome at Carrington um, because of, and I was told that that was why. So I wore that for a while. I, I I thought what I wrote was fair. I wore it, um, took it as a bit of a, almost wore it as a badge of honour, got on with my job. And then it, we got to Christmas time. So I'd been banned by, I'd been banned for kind of half the season by this time. Um, and I was not for matches, just from press conferences. I was coming out of the press and exit at Old Trafford, which happens to be opposite the director's exit. And as I was coming out of this Boxing Day game, Fergie was coming out. Um, obviously, Fergie was coming out and we we, we kind of locked eyes and I thought, well, and, and before I could say anything, he just said to me, he said, he said, Merry Christmas, Ian. Merry Christmas. Shook my hand and walked off. And I thought, oh, well, things are obviously better. Things are obviously thawing. So I thought it's probably about time that I asked if I could come back on a Friday. So I wrote him a letter. I wrote him a letter saying, you know, let's be big boys and, and let's move on. And, and I wrote that letter and I went, on, went off on holiday to visit my sister in Australia. And while I was there, the office... The office emailed me and said, oh, we've got a letter. It looks like it's from Manchester United. Do you want us to open it? I said, yeah, you better had. So they opened this letter 
And uh, he said, we think you'd better see it. So they emailed it to me. Goodness me, I've, ne- I've still got it. I've never read anything like it in my life. In, a, in about six or seven short paragraphs, so Alex Ferguson absolutely assassinated me. I've, honestly, I can, I've, I'm, getting, I'm getting the shivers just thinking about it now. I've not looked at that letter for a while. It was a character assassination. Destroyed me. The dust has settled. Was he justified? in what he said. Was it was it accurate? Tell us some of the things in, in that letter. I can't, I can't and I won't because it's a letter and it's private, but it wasn't nice. And I don't think that's fair to him to, to say what was in it, but it wasn't nice. Um, you know, it was measured and it was written in respectful terms, but it's, but the message, the message was clear. Um, anyway, long, long story short, we don't want to bore everybody's senses over this. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, I, I then thought, well, I can't, I can't let this lie. So I wrote back and said, come on, please let, can we get together? And we did get together. Um, for half an hour at Carrington, and he ripped me. Yeah, he ripped me for a good ten minutes. Um, told me that. Um, told me that as well as the, as well as the the Rooney thing, he didn't like the way I conducted myself in press conferences. He thought my he thought my questions were unfair. Didn't like the way I I phrased things. Um, he did the, he did a very very clever thing. I was sitting on a chair in this room at Carrington, and he he perched on the table. So immediately he was looking down at me, at me and. Um, I was on the back foot for much for much of that meeting, um, but we got out of it and we talked and we talked it through and we had a good chat. It was a fascinating half an hour actually. Again, won't go into the details of it. Fascinating half hour ended ended it amicably. Shook my hand, welcomed me back to his Friday press conferences, and then banned me again about four weeks later. <laughs> in, in, so, so, so just in intimidation factor out of every you've been in the game a long time everybody you've met is he was he just miles ahead did he intimidate me not really not really he could make you feel on edge he could make you feel slightly nervous especially when it was a big press conference before a big champions league game and there's cameras there and everybody's waiting for him to uh you know uh unload as he occasionally did um didn't he didn't do it he didn't do it anywhere near as often as people think, by the way. He didn't do it. It's like with his players, right? People have this image that Fergie had the hairdryer out all the time in the, in the United's dressing room. He didn't. He used it sparingly. It was the same at press conferences. The majority of Ferguson press conferences were very, very routine. Some of them could even be mundane. When United were playing well, he didn't need us. So he'd be, it, they could even be quite boring. But occasionally, when it mattered or whether, when someone had got under his skin, he would have you. And that, I think, going back to the start of this conversation, that was always more powerful than being banned by a football club. If you're banned, you can, as long as you're comfortable with what you've done and you've got the support of your employer, you're okay. You'll get back in eventually. This current one at United is only for one press conference, I think. So you're comfortable. What the greatest weapon that a manager has with a journalist in these circumstances, and Fergie used to use it occasionally, was to call you out. If you go into a press conference and you sit down and a manager turn and, and, and you ask a question and a manager looks at you and says, Oi, you, what you wrote, that was rubbish. That was wrong. You didn't check it with me. I've got your card mark now. You'll get no favours out of me. And Fergie would occasionally play that card that is far more powerful than ever banning a journalist because then you think a it's been public it can be a bit embarrassing but also you're like blimey you know you know that's a one-on-one kind of evisceration that's not just a press officer ringing you in the morning of the press conference and say oh look stay at home today which any grown-up can cope with nobody likes being called out one-on-one if i had been eric ten Hag, and i was and i was really unhappy with what had been written this week 
That's what I'd have done. That's what I'd have done. I'd have called people out. I'd have called people out in person because that's got a power. That's got a power. I just feel a bit sad for you. You, you had to resort to writing a begging letter to be allowed back in. It wasn't a begging letter. I thought it was a very mature way to deal with it. I thought it was a very, very mature way I, to I, deal with it. Either way, it's a begging letter. And it got me... It got there's nothing wrong with swallowing pride occasionally, Chris. You might have to learn that. You you might have to learn that. You, you might learn that well, when we get to the end. You're an angry elf today, aren't you? You might get to realise what swallowing pride is about when we get to the end of the season. Arsenal are holding the Premier League uh, trophy, and David Ray has got a medal around his neck, having played 30 straight games and kept 12 clean sheets and saved nine penalties in the running. And if it, and if he does that, I'll write David Ray a letter. On we go very, very quickly before we finish what, as, as, what as usual, has degenerated into kind of name-calling and kind of point-scoring between the two of us. Um, I always start this podcast with the best of intentions and I'll see your face staring back at me and everything changes. Um, so, look, this is a serious, serious subject. Um, managers under threat. Steve Cooper's Nottingham Forest got a hiding at Fulham. Um, uh, Palace lost at home. Uh, to Bournemouth I think Um, Steve Cooper under pressure I think the time is probably nigh for Steve I'm afraid I'm not saying it's right but from what we're hearing I think Steve might be on his way and what is interesting is that there is a school of thought um, there's a school of thought that if Cooper does leave uh, Forest then uh, Crystal Palace may feel compelled to do something about Roy Hodgson so they can slide Cooper in there could be a bit of a domino effect about to happen in the Premier League. And that's uh, that shows how precarious a manager's standing can be. Did you listen to the Steve Cooper interview? Um, I, I don't know if you've seen that last night, on, well, on Match of the Day. No, no. I was home too late. It was a, a brilliant interview where he was actually very emotional uh, about that, that connection with, with the fans. And I think we both with the reports um, in the last week or so, we probably both feel that the writing is on the wall. When you lose to Fulham, who actually had a good performance at, uh, at Liverpool, but ended up losing. But it's a Fulham team who, you know, they're sort of mid-table. They're okay. But to be humiliated in the fashion at Nottingham Forest, where it looks like he's, you know, he's, he's the players aren't playing for him. But listening to him speak at the end, and that's a throwaway phrase the players aren't playing for him. They clearly weren't on that particular evening. Um, But so I was thinking, seeing the results come through last night, he's a goner. But do you know what? If if I ever wanted a manager to get a, a stay of execution, it would be Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest. Just the, the, the Nottingham Forest fans are applauding him. There's pictures of him sort of saying he was sorry. It, the club means so much to him. You can see, you often see managers come out after, uh, you know, defeats and and they care, but they don't care like Steve Cooper seems uh, to care about, you know, his particular club. So, look, am I going soft? But... I actually think this season being a season where Nottingham Forest will stay in the Premier League, I actually feel he, you know, he deserves, uh, he he deserves to stay on in his position. You know, it's about small steps, and if the owner, if the owner genuinely at the start of the season thought or thinks 
that they could get in a European spot, then he's deluded. I tell you what, Chris, you, you talk about what Steve Cooper doesn't doesn't deserve. What Steve Cooper doesn't deserve is to work for a club and for an employer and an owner who doesn't appreciate him. That's what he that's what he doesn't deserve. And I tell you what, if he's not performed or his players haven't performed particularly well in the last week, then who can blame them? Given what they know, given that they know that the faith from the from the owner and the manager has evaporated or slowly dripped away, who 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 can blame them? Steve Cooper's well out of it. I tell you that, mate. He's well out of it. I'm fond of Forest. I worked in Nottingham for the local paper many years ago. I've, I covered them the last time they were briefly in the Premier League. Beautiful city, great football club. They behave shabbily towards Cooper. They're behaving shabbily towards Cooper. He's well out of it, mate. Leaves with, he leaves with his head held high and he walks straight into another job. And I tell you what, Steve Cooper's career traje- trajectory, if I can say it, will be only one way and that'll be up. Forrest will go into reverse without him, I promise you. I promise you they will. I can't remember, okay, and I uh, you know, played in the game a long time. wonder whether you can remember a team being smashed as they were smashed and the away support applauding a manager in that in that fashion, I, you, you know what comes with that. Well, because they know they they that that fan base know what Cooper's done. They know where they were, i.e., in the bottom three of the championship when he took over. He know what he's. They know what he gave them. Uh, they know the circumstances under which he's been working, working with players that he hasn't signed, a squad that's too big, an owner that's constantly uh, talking to other managers. Uh, people briefing against the manager. It's a shambles. It's a basket for, basket case football club. It's not right. And he's well out of it. And if those Nottingham Forest supporters are as loyal to Cooper as you're telling me they were last night, then good on them. Because they're not stupid in Nottingham. They know a good bloke and they know a talented bloke when they see one. And they know and, and they know a bloke, they can recognise when, when such a bloke's been shafted, which he is. So um, let's leave it there, mate. I'm getting angry. I don't want to finish on an angry note. Um, Don't be angry, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Um, yeah, come on. Lovely to talk to you, mate. Nice to see the Wi-Fi's uh, working well. I think maybe you need to move into that hotel um, that you're in this morning um, for good. Um, but look, thank you, mate. Uh, nice to chat. Uh, you're on form today. Hopefully, hopefully you'll bring that form to the studio on Monday when we'll be talking again for the next uh, edition of It's All Kicking Off. 